Chapter 19 of The Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Frozen Pirate by William Clark Russell. Chapter 19 We Take a View of the Ice. For seven days the gale raged with uncommon violence. It then broke, and this brought us into the first week of August. The wind fell in the night, and I was awakened by the silence, which you will not think strange if you consider how used were my ears to the fierce seething and strong bellowing of the blast. I lay listening, believing that it had only veered, and that it would come on again in gusts and guns. But the stillness continued, and there was no sound whatever, saving the noises of the ice, which broke upon the air like slow answers from batteries near and distant, half whose cannons have been silenced. I slept again, and when I awoke it was half-past nine o'clock in the morning. The Frenchman was snoring lustily. I went on deck before entering the cookhouse, and had liked to have been blinded by the astonishing brilliance of the sunshine upon the ice and snow. All the wind was gone. The air was exquisitely frosty and sharp, but there was a heavy sound coming from the sea which gave me to expect the sight of a strong swell. The sky was a clear blue and there was no cloud on as much of its face as showed betwixt the prows of the slopes. The schooner was a most wonderful picture of drooping icicles, a more beautiful and radiant sight you could not figure, from every rope, from the yards forward, from the rails, from whatever water could run in a stream, hung glorious ice pendants of prismatic splendor. No snow had fallen to frost the surfaces, and every pendant was as pure and polished as cut glass and reflected a hundred brilliant colors. The wind hurled over and on the schooner had frozen upon the masts, riggings, and decks, and as this ice, like the pendants, was very sparklingly bright, it gave back all the hues of the sunbeam, so that, stepping from the darkness of the cabin into this effulgent scene, you might easily have persuaded yourself that before you stood the fabric of a ship fashioned out of a rainbow. My attention, however, was quickly withdrawn from this shining spectacle by the appearance of the starboard cliff over against our quarter. The whole shoulder of it had been broken away, and I could just catch a view of the horizon of the sea from the deck by stretching my figure. The sight of the ocean showed me that the breakage had been prodigious, for to have come to that prospect before, I should have had to climb to the height of the main lower masthead. No other marked or noteworthy change did I detect from the deck, but on stepping to the larboard side to peer over I spied a split in the ice that reached from the very margin of the ravine, I mean to that end of it where it terminated in a cliff, to pass the bows of the schooner by at least four times her own length. I returned to the cook-room and went about the old business of lighting the fire and preparing the breakfast this job by an understanding between the Frenchman and me, falling to him who was first out of bed, and in about twenty minutes, Tassard arrived. "'The wind is gone,' he said. "'Yes,' I replied. "'It is a bright still morning. I have been on deck. There has been a great fall of ice close to. "'Does it block us?' "'No. On the contrary, it clears the way to the sea. The ocean is now visible from the deck. Not that it mends our case,' I added." but there is a great rent in the ice that puts a fancy into my head. I'll speak of it later, after a closer look. The breakfast was ready, and we fell into a hurry, 
the Frenchman gobbling like a hog in his eagerness to make an end. When we were finished, he wrapped himself up in three or four coats and cloaks, warming the under ones before folding them about him, and completing his preparations for the excursion by swallowing half a pint of raw brandy. I bade him arm himself with a short-headed spear to save his neck, and thus equipped we went on deck. He stood stock still with his eyes shut on emerging through the hatch, crying out with a number of French oaths that he had been struck blind. This I did not believe, though I readily supposed that the glare made his eyeballs smart so as to cause him a good deal of agony. Indeed, all along I had been surprised that he should have found his sight so easily after having sat in blindness for forty-eight years, and it was not wonderful that the amazing brilliance on deck, smiting his sight on a sudden, should have caused him to cry out as if he had lost the use of his eyes for ever. I waited patiently, and in about ten minutes he was able to look about him, and then it was not long before he could see without pain. He stood a minute gazing at the glories upon the rigging, and in that piercing light I noticed the unwholesome color of his face. His cap hid the scar, and nothing of his countenance was to be seen but the cheeks, eyes, and nose. He was much more wrinkled than I had supposed, and methought the spirit of cruelty lay visible in every line. I had never seen eyes so full of cunning and treachery, so expressive, I should say, of these qualities. Yet they were no bigger than mere punctures. I was sensible of a momentary fear of the man, not, let me say, an emotion of cowardice, but a sort of mixture of alarm and awe, such as a ghost might inspire. This I put down into the searching light in which I watched him for a moment or two, an irradiation subtle enough to give the sharpest form to expression, to exquisitely define every meaning that was distinguishable in his graveyard physiognomy. I left him to stare and judge for himself of the posture in which the long, hard gale had put the schooner and stepped over to the two bodies. They were shrouded in ice from head to foot, as though they had each man been packed in a glass case cunningly wrought to their shapes. Their faces were hid by the crystal masks. Tassar joined me. "'Small chance for your friends now,' said I, "'even if you were agreeable to my proposal to attempt to revive them.' "'So!' cried he, touching the body of the mate with his foot. And this is the end of the irresistible Trentinove. For what conquests has death robed him so bravely? See, the colors shine in him like fifty different kinds of ribbons. Poor fellow, he cannot curl his mustachios now, though the loveliest eyes in Europe were fixed in passionate admiration on him. He'll never slit another throat nor hiccup Petrarch over a goblet, nor remonstrate with me on my humanity. Shall we toss the bodies over the side? They are your friends, said I. Do as you please. But we must empty their pockets first. Business before sentiment, Mr. Rodney. He stirred the figure again with his foot. Well, presently, said he, this armor will want the hatchet. Now, my friend, to view the work of the gale, the increased heel of the ship brought the larboard fore-channel low, and we stepped without difficulty from it onto the ice. The rent or fissure that I have before spoken of went very deep. It was nearly two feet wide in places, but, though the light poured brilliantly upon it, I could see no bottom. If only such another split as this would happen to other side, said the Frenchman, I believe this block would go adrift. Well, 
said I, after musing a little whilst I ran my eye over the hollows, I'll tell you what was in my mind just now. There is a great quantity of gunpowder in the hold, ten or a dozen barrels. By dropping large parcels of it into the crevices on the right there, and firing it with slow matches, he interrupted me with a cry. By St. Paul, you have it! What crevices have you? We walked briskly round the vessel, and all about her beam and starboard quarter I found, in addition to the seams I had before noticed, many great cracks and fissures, caused no doubt by the fall of the shoulder of the slope. I pushed on further yet, going down the ravine, as I have called it, until I came to the edge, and here I looked down from a height of some twelve or fourteen feet, so greatly had the ice sunk or been changed by the weather, upon the ocean. I called to Tassard. He approached warily. I believe he feared I might be tempted to give him a friendly shove over the edge. Observe this hollow, said I. The split there goes down to the water, and you may take it that the block is wholly disconnected on that side. Now look at the face of the ice, said I, pointing to the starboard or right-hand side. That crack goes as far as the vessel's quarter, and the weakness is carried on to pass the bows by the other rents. Mr. Tassard, if we could burst this body of ice by an explosion from its moorings ahead of the bowsprit, where it is all too compact, this cradle with the schooner in it will go free of the parent body. He answered promptly, Yes, it is the one and only plan. That crack to starboard is like telling us what to do. It is well you came here. We should not have seen it from the top. This valley runs steep. You must expect no more than the surface to be liberated, for the foot of the cliff will go deep. I desire no more. Will the ship stand such a launch, supposing we bring it about, said he? I responded with one of his own shrugs and said, Nothing is certain. We have one of two courses to choose, to venture this launch or stay till the ice breaks up, and take our chance of floating or of being smashed. You are right, he exclaimed. Here is an opportunity. If we wait, bergs may gather about this point and build us in. As to this island dissolving, we are yet to know which way tis heading. Suppose it should be travelling south, hey? He struck the ice with his spear, and we toiled up the slippery rocks with difficulty to the ship. We walked past the bows to the distance of the vessel's length. Here were many deep holes and cracks, and as if we were to be taught how these came about, even whilst we were viewing them an ear-splitting crash of noise happened within twenty fathoms of us. A rock many tons in weight rolled over and left a black gulf behind it. The Frenchman started, muttered, and crossed himself. Holy Virgin, he cried, rolling his eyes. Let us return to the schooner. We shall be swallowed up here. I own I was not a little terrified myself by the sudden blast and the thunder of the uprooted rock, and the sight of the huge black rent. But I meant to view the scene from the top, and to consider how best to dispose of the powder in the cracks, and said, There is nothing to be done on board. Skulking below will not deliver us or preserve the treasure. Here are several fissures big enough to receive barrels of gunpowder. See, Mr. Tassard, as they stand, they cover the whole width of the hollow. And I proceeded to give him my ideas as to lowering, fixing the barrels, and the like. He nodded his head and said, Yes, very good. Yes, it will do, and so on, but was too scared in his heart, I believe, to see my full meaning. He was perpetually moving, 
as if he feared the ice would split under his feet and his eyes travelled over the face of the rocks with every manifestation of alarm in their expression i wondered how so poor a creature should ever have had stomach enough to serve as a pirate no doubt his spirit had been enfeebled by his long sleep but then it is also true that the greatest bullies and most bloodthirsty rogues prove themselves despicable curs under conditions which make no demand upon their temper or their loss for plunder he would have returned to the ship had i encouraged him but on seeing me start to climb to the brow he followed the prospect disappointed me i had expected to witness a variety of surprising changes but southward the scene was scarce altered it was a wonderfully fair morning the sky clear from sea line to sea line and of a very soft blue the ocean of a like hue with a high swell running that was a majestic undulation even from the height at which i surveyed it the sun stood over the ice in the northeast and the dazzle kept me weeping so intolerable was the effulgence half of the delicate architecture that had enriched the slopes and surfaces that way was swept down and ice lay piled in places to an elevation of many feet where before it had been flat or hollow however there was no question but that the gale had played havoc with the north extremity of the island i counted no less than twenty bergs floating off the main and it was quite likely the sea was crowded beyond though my sight could not travel so far however when i came to look close and to recollect the features of the shore as they showed when i first landed i found some vital changes near at hand where my haven had been the ice had given way and left a gap half a mile broad and a hundred feet deep the fall on the schooner's starboard quarter was very heavy and the ice was split in all directions and in parts was so loose that a point of cliff hard upon the sea rocked with the swell when tassard came to a stand he looked about him north and south shading his eyes with his hand and then swearing very savagely in french he cried out in english freely employing oaths as he spoke why here is as much ice as there was before i fell asleep see yonder pointing to the south it dies out in the distance if it does not join the pole there may the devil rise before me as i speak thunder and fury i had hoped to see it shriveled to an ordinary berg what in a week cried i as if i believed his stupor had not lasted longer he returned no answer and gaped about him full of consternation and passion and are we to wait for our deliverance till this continent breaks up he bawled the day of judgment will be a thing of the past by that time travelling north sdeath he roared his mouth full of the expletives of his day french and english who but a madman could suppose that this ice is not as fixed as the antarctic circle to which it is moored why six months ago it was no bigger than it is now and he sent a furious terrified gaze into the white solitudes vanishing in azure faintness in the southwest it was not a thing to reason upon i was as much disappointed as he by the trifling changes the gale had made and my heart felt very heavy at the sight of the great field disappearing in the south the bergs in the north signified little it is true they indicated demolition but demolition so slow as to be worthless to us it was not to be questioned that the island was proceeding north but at what rate here perhaps might be a frozen crescent of forty or fifty leagues and at what speed appreciable enough to be of the least consequence to our calculations should such a body travel i looked at the frenchman this must decide us said i 
We must fix on one of two courses, endeavor to launch the ship by blowing up the ice, or turn to and rig up the best arrangement we can contrive and put to sea. Yes, he answered, scowling as he darted his enraged eyes over the ice. Better set a slow match in the magazine and drink ourselves senseless. And so blow ourselves to hell and linger here in the hope that this continent will dissolve and release us. Where's Mendoza's body? I stared about me, and then pointing to the huge gap the ice had made, answered, It was there. Where it is now, I know not. He shrugged his shoulders, took another view of the ice and the ocean, and then cried impatiently, Let us return! The powder barrels must have the first chance! And he made for the schooner, savagely striking the ice with his spear and growling curses to himself as he plowed and climbed and jumped his way along. End of chapter 19